Rebecca Stevenson, thank you for your time. Rebecca is a senior journalist at Business Desk and is in for our business commentary this morning. It's slightly hot off the press, as in warm. (laughs) The Commerce Commission opening an investigation into the supermarkets. Um, One's a little sceptical from time to time about various investigations of this nature. Specifically, what's it into, Rebecca? Welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Catherine. So this is off the back of a Consumer NZ campaign that was running throughout much of 2023. So Consumer had called for people to send them their dodgy specials and collected more than 600 consumer complaints about supermarkets. Um, Now, once it had got together that, it put together, I guess, what it would consider its strongest evidence and actually lodged a complaint with the competition watchdog alleging that supermarkets were engaging in misleading pricing, charging more than they were advertising, and also that they had misleading specials and promotional practices. Um, So as a result of this complaint, which was lodged in August, the Commerce Commission confirmed to me that it had opened an investigation into the three supermarket majors, that is Woolworths, Foodstuffs North Island and Foodstuffs South Island. Now, this is under the Fair Trading Act. So that is the sort of key, I guess, consumer legislation to protect consumers from misleading and deceptive trader behavior, including unfair trading practices. Um, So we've obviously seen a lot of action around grocery, you know, with the supermarket study, we have this new uh, supplier, supplier code of conduct and we have a grocery commissioner. But this is investigation under our very old and important Fair Trading Act legislation, which has been around since the 80s. The question is, uh, what can it do? But if it's fair trading, what, what would be a breach of fair trading? Like, What kind of examples can we think about? Yeah, look, Consumer NZ collected a bunch of examples. Um, There were 18 instances of people being charged more than the advertising price. Um, They said they had 50 examples of misleading pricing, 11 misleading multi-buys, and 21 specials that were not special. Um, These are the kind of examples where you might see, you know, the price rises, and then the next day it's dropped and advertised as a special, or there may be a multi-buy where in fact it's not actually cheaper to buy three of an item than it was to buy them on their own. And then you see a lot of um, consumers complaining about just being charged more than the advertised price, you know, that the sticker that they see on the shelf in the supermarket isn't necessarily what they're getting charged at the till. Um, Of course, you know, the supermarkets say that they've been contacted and that they will cooperate. They can't really comment anymore because these are live investigations. Um, But Foodstuff says, you know, it takes its pricing and promotion accuracy and integrity very seriously every day. And it has pointed to the fact that it's been making improvements to its pricing and promotional processes um, and also implementing the Commerce Commission recommendations following that market study where they did point out that there was um, some sort of behaviour that could be improved by the supermarkets in terms of those prices. This is in the wider context, of course, of the setting up of the grocery commissioner who sits within the commission, I think, Rebecca? Yeah, so look, 
had a lot going on. We do have Pierre Van Herden, who knows the industry really well in that role now as Grocery Commissioner. And he's going to be overseeing um, a lot of this work, including investigations, uh, sorry, sort of research, I guess, into what are some of the issues that the Commission can dig its teeth into. But, you know, Fair Trading Act and prosecutions is another different part, I guess, of what the Commission does. And um, taking those investigations and then also taking those court cases and prosecutions is a really important component to the work, as well as just that kind of research and looking at what the industry is doing. You know, people want to see that players, when they are, you know, falling foul of the rules and not following the Fair Trading Act, that they are actually held to account in a legal way as well. Well, is that happening? Because we certainly have the inquiries and we have the market, what are they called, the market studies. We've had them of all the big Mm. industries that have a very small number of players. But what about the prosecutions? I mean, are they happening? Yeah, look, um, Anne Callanan, who's the Deputy Chair of the Commerce Commission, told me that the enforcement portfolio is incredibly important. And she did point to, you know, that they have had successes in this field. She said that in 2023, the Commerce Commission's enforcement actions led to a record penalty of $3.6 million under the Fair Trading Act. That one was against 1NZ or formerly Vodafone, um, where they got um, in trouble for misleading uh, their consumers. You know, she says this kind of penalty really demonstrates the importance um, and that showing that consumers can rely on what traders are telling them is the truth. Um, the commission does have a litigation budget um, that was actually trimmed down in the last budget um, to 12.6 million from 14.1 million because it had been underspent. Um, now, Callanan, that deputy chair of the Commerce Commission, uh, says it expects to spend almost the full allocation of that litigation budget, bringing cases and defending appeals of our decisions. The new Commerce Minister, Andrew Bailey, um, he told me that he's told the Commission spend that budget every year. He said he wants them to take on well-resourced large players and fully use all of the tools in its regulatory arsenal, of course, including taking prosecutions to court. It may be as it is with some of the other agencies, a case of if you take the prosecution, you don't really want to lose. They they tend to sometimes have a very high threshold before they prosecute. I know the ECFO was certainly accused of that for a good while. Uh, The Mm. 1NZ one, that was over its new Starlink... um, uh, sign up, wasn't it? This uh, bigger coverage that it's going to have for texts at any rate uh, coming in over the next year or two. Uh, it certainly was a big whack, but yeah, you wonder mm. how many others there have been. Very interesting. Now, mergers and acquisitions, M&As, who's hunting down whom? Everybody is. <laughs> um, leading fund managers told me that no one will be safe from mergers and acquisitions in 2024. We did see, you know, a pretty subdued 2023 number of factors for that. You know, interest rates are always looming large. You know, it's it's expensive um, to get money. And also we just saw, you know, businesses weren't feeling particularly good about themselves in 2023. They perhaps had, you know, overly ambitious budgets for the year, hadn't 
couldn't reach them. So it didn't really feel like they wanted to test that in the market and potentially get, you know, low ball valuations. Um, I've spoken to a number of experts in M&A, you know, private sales and obviously the public market, and they really are expecting there's going to be a lot going on this year. Um, you know, basically feeling that, you know, NZ firms are good buying. You know, they are generating good cash, they have low debt, um, and they are just a lot of money seeking homes now. There's been, I think, about $9 billion or something raised just in Australian private equity firms in the last couple of years. And that money needs homes, you know, private equity firms want to be spending that money they want to be buying businesses and new zealand firms are seen as being really good propositions um we sort of think that uh when we get the final numbers from 2023 deal activity will be about 30 percent down um but yeah lots of expectation that it's going to be heating up you know we saw sky tv for example rebuff a takeover offer at the end of the year um arvida in the same boat a retirement company that's listed also said no to an unsolicited bid in december and shane solly at harbor asset management told me that the sky bid in particular was a really important wake-up call for nz firms you know he says boards need to be ready for these takeover offers and they really need to be able to talk to their investors and their shareholders and prove to them you know we actually have a plan for this business. You should let us run it and not see us be taken over instead. Um, in terms of private activity, uh, I'm being told by Regan Holt at PwC that he thinks boomers are going to be really active this year and looking to potentially sell out of their businesses. Um, he says, you know, this boomer sellout has been rumored for many years, but he said at the back end of 2023, the number of contacts that PwC had from business owners really ticked up. And he said there's a number of factors for that. Just better business confidence, you know, they're feeling better about their business this year. The election is behind them and they might have some more runs on the board in terms of sales now. Um, and also just feeling that, yeah, there are buyers actually out there. And he pointed to some really interesting sales. Um, Superior Pet Food, he said, was one of those examples where you had owners nearing retirement age wanting to sort of hand the business over. Um, that business was sold to EBOS uh, for about $84 million. Um, and then we had, you know, um, some other ones as well. Zeewee Pet Food a few years ago uh, sold for reportedly around a billion. Um, All Press Espresso, about 50 million. So he said, you know, New Zealand businesses have a really good reputation um, and it's the Aussies hunting us, but also even further afield. In 2023, PwC did its first NZ deal for an Italian multinational called Interpump, which took a liking to Waikato Milking Systems and bought that business for $54 million. So he says there's a lot of really great businesses in New Zealand privately owned that just fly under the radar until they get snapped up for these, you know, millions and millions of dollars. It's funny what's a merger and what's an acquisition isn't it there is a difference when you look at it like that um what are some of the ones that could have been and weren't of late 
Well, obviously there was that one, um, Sky, you know, Sky has really had a pretty depressed share price, you know, and is really seen as being materially undervalued. You know, I guess that material undervalued is the key sort of theme that's been running in a lot of these ones um, where they are seen as being very ripe for takeovers. Um, The market is not appreciating them. You know, their shares are low. And so if you're a private equity firm, um, you see a lot of upside in that. Um, So, yeah, there was Sky and Arvida, I think, in particular. And we've seen a few uh, bubbling away at the moment now. Uh, You know, Raycon is currently um, subject to a uh, bid and we saw MHM Automation also another NZX listed firm um, got a decent offer at the end of the year Um, so yeah there's quite a few of these listed firms in particular who are quite unloved (laughs) their owners would say um, and perhaps could be attractive propositions and for these private equity firms. They're attractive for what? They're attractive because they're undervalued, and so you presume with a bit of investment you could raise that value, or you are uh, seeing a turning point in the trajectory, or is it more the sort of asset stripping side of side of things? It's a it's kind of a dark art this business, isn't it? Mm, so sometimes it is uh, buying cheap growth yep. was how Shane Solly yep. at Harbour put it to me. You know, um, businesses are looking to grow. Uh, maybe they've tapped out what they feel they can do in their own existing business. So, hey, let's buy this business. Let's cut costs. Let's get more scale. Let's grow bigger and sort of push ourselves through that growth that way. Okay. Or on the other side, yes, it's this feeling of, hey, we can actually get a lot of cash out of this business. You know, they're generating a lot of cash. You know, some of these really quite sort of small uh, NZX listed firms have revenue between, you know, 50, $100 million, and they could be trading for, you know, cents. Um, so if you're a firm also that maybe you're in the same industry, you know what you're doing and you think, gosh, I can unleash a whole bunch of customers here. I can add those parts to my business. Um, I think with the Waikato milking system sale, that was a good example where this Italian firm saw that this firm was in New Zealand was really strong in an area perhaps where they didn't have expertise in dairy and in agriculture and saw that that was a really attractive proposition. Let's leave the management in there, but let's add that to our already huge business and then put more money into it and really watch it fly. Now, this will be a controversial, uh, undoubtedly always is a controversial <laughs> part of the, of the conversation and indeed of the whole scene this year. There are a lot of cash-strapped councils talking about mm. their assets and partial sell-downs or, or, or bigger sell-downs. Who's on your mind? Yeah, look, I mean, investors will just be salivating at the thought of this. And of course, communities perhaps not so keen. Um, But infrastructure assets on those uh, local council balance sheets and also just with the community trust, you know, uh, community lines companies in particular have been highlighted to me as ones to watch because they do need investment, you know, decarbonisation, being more energy efficient, you know, money needs to be spent on these lines networks in particular to make sure that they're, you know, meeting the targets and obligations that people expect of them. Um, Mergers and acquisitions partner Roger Wallace said he thinks this community asset sales 
will be a key theme this year. Um, so look, we had a study from Boston Consultant Group that showed that Lions companies alone um, were estimated to need to send 22 billion on their infrastructure network to prepare them for upgrading to electrification. Um, there's 29 electricity distribution assets um, and about 13 of them are consumer owned. Uh, we saw a sale of one in late 2022, um, East Coast Lines Company Eastland Network, that was sold for $260 million um, with its holding company getting an $80 million special dividend. It's and a really interesting one sale, though. Um, sorry to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting one because a lot of those lines companies are in the zone where massive upgrades are needed to that physical infrastructure if the electricity demand is, as predicted, set to double over the next couple of decades or so. So there's going to have to be some spending done by someone on a lot of those assets. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Roger said to Roger Wallace said to me, they need some pretty material investment to continue to produce and distribute electricity in the zero carbon environment. A lot of focus from M and A activity he mm. expects in that sector. And you know, these are obvious attractive assets for investors. You know, um, they're not, Lions companies are not considered very volatile. Um, investors already have had good experiences with other Lions companies like Vector, which is partially listed. Um, so these assets really fit the bill for investors mm. because they are steady, stable, and provide predictable cash flows and returns. Um, so yeah, whether or not communities will be so happy for that to happen is another story. What about the ports, the airports, the port ports? Yeah, look, ports, again, um, investors would love to get a slice on that. You know, we've got a number of ports uh, still locally owned, Centreport in Wellington, Port of Auckland and Littleton. Um, and look, people just look at what happened has happened with the other ports, which are partially owned and have sort of mixed um, ownership models such as Port of Tauranga and Napier Port. You know, Port of Tauranga is always held up as a really fantastic example um, of what can happen if you partially sell off an asset. Um, it has really good management. Investors really enjoy being part of it. Um, Mark Lister at Craig's said to me, look, you can have your asset cake and eat it too sell down some of the holdings, retain some of the port, you get the best of both worlds, get money in the door, you share the burden of maintaining the assets, and you can also release funds for other things. Um, Napier Port as well has had a partial listing, um, which people have felt is really successful as well. Um, it got about $234 million uh, for 45% of its port. Very good. Uh, what are some of the other sort of headlines uh, that uh, these analysts were pointing you to? Is it is it a more seen as a more stable environment to be making big decisions full stop, given we're out of the most acute phase of the pandemic and all the supply chain issues and the inflation issues? Uh, they linger, but is that is it likely seen as in the immediate future as a slightly less, you know, or slightly more predictable time, or, or not? 
Yeah, I think they confidence, you know, was a key uh, word that kept coming through in a lot of the interviews, you know, that business owners are just feeling a lot more confident about where their business is at and also confident looking ahead to the future. You know, when we saw those sales that didn't get away, you know, like the Sky and the Arveda, that was because there was a gap in the valuation between what the buyer potential buyer wanted to offer versus where the business saw themselves. Um, and most of the people I spoke to in the m and in industry said that they feel that those valuations will come more together in 2024. You know, hopefully we're past the worst of interest rates. You know, um, um, hopefully we've got definitely got the election behind us. Um, and then there's also just, you know, Regan Holt at PwC said, you've just got a lot of private owned businesses in particular where these people are in their 70s now uh, perhaps their family are not involved in the business and they are just feeling more confident about the outlook and feeling that they have a good picture and story to tell um, to these investors and he said you know there's a lot of private equity out there wanting to snap up these businesses thank you rebecca stevenson senior journalist at business desk